Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This week's episode of the Bass Guitar Nerds podcast is sponsored by Ashdown Engineering a British bass amplification powerhouse whose gear is seen on the biggest stages in the world backing up the biggest bands in the world. But now Ashdown have expanded their expertise into bass guitars. Having teamed up with master luthier Dan Lackin previously of Lackland Basses, Ashdown are now offering five different models of US designed basses, from classically inspired shapes to completely new designs using vintage sensibilities with all the modern applications a bassist needs. Available in an ever-expanding range of finishes and all for under a thousand pounds. These instruments are extremely exciting. Check them out at ashdownmusic.com or follow links in the description of this podcast. And welcome to the Bass Guitar Nerds podcast, a podcast by guitar nerds. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by JD Short. Hello. And Naomi McLeod. Hello. Hello. Yes, that's right. So we cut Mark Packham out this week because we realised that, you know, he could only really talk about one thing and he spoke about that last week. So we'd exhausted all of his bass guitarness and we thought we'd focus on... Yeah, the expert. So we had a great uh, sort of first episode of uh, the bass guitar. I was was totally chuffed with uh, all the wonderful feedback we'd had from the community over on, you know, especially on on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash guitar nerds forum if you want to join that listener if you don't already. But yes, um, it was an excellent first episode and we got to talk about... Uh, JD and Naomi, your uh, your kind of bases. So we talked, you know, a lot about JD's Stonefield, and we talked a lot about Naomi's um, Bronco, uh, mm-hmm. your heavily customized Bronco, which was, you know, which is super cool. Um, but this week, I kind of, I, I'd, I'd pop some, um, I'd popped a little post in the Facebook group asking if anyone had any questions. And we got such great ones that I thought we could maybe focus on some of some of those. Um, but first of all, kind of before we go into any of that, I thought we'd talk about, you know, I guess the things that we've been up to this week in the bass world. JD, I know that you have, your your gear is actually finally getting here soon. Yeah, yeah. It'll be exciting. So it's, it is now in the country and off, off of its shipment container. So, uh, yeah, just waiting for delivery. So it's exciting to be reunited with cases and cases of pedals. 
I guess that's the bulk of it. How many bases are coming over as well? Uh, so I have one electric with me, my Stonefield, like yeah. the M series. I have the F series that's been with the upgraded stuff that's coming. I have a, another custom base that I had um, built by Jack Reed, uh, which is a five string with 20 different woods and piezos and magnetic pickups and all sorts of fun stuff. And then I also have my NS uh, upright coming over. Oh, so really? NS you have an upright. NS design upright? That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, so I have that, which I almost brought that on the plane, but that's because it's it's easier to travel with than just a regular electric base. Like the, the gig bag that it comes with is smaller and easier to transport than an electric base and like a mono bag or any of yeah. those. Yeah, super yeah. dope. Yeah, very cool. I'd I'd love to. I, I always really liked the um, uh, the NS design. They did uh like the this range of what were they called? Uh, Radius was the name yeah, yeah. of the the series. Oh yeah, yeah. Like they're they're electric. Like those. I would say like that was for a long time. I hadn't really picked up a base that I really caught my attention. But probably about five six years ago, I, when they came out with those or maybe more but i i played one of those at um the bass player live in hollywood which is sort of the one of the shows that uh bass player magazine used to put on and was just in their booth like playing it and it was they sound so good and it was one of the the best playing basses i've ever had like it's just really really smooth and buttery and like it's it's probably if if i were to get something it's it's they they would be on my list of something to have i think it's just such a good i really like their like all their stuff yeah they're they're high up on my list as well i th I think the the ns design for for listeners who who don't know so that's it's obviously it's ned steinberg design bases and they are they are headless <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> um but a slightly more conventional shape um, like a normal shape with an extended upper horn that sits over the 12 frets. You know it's going to sit on you in the, in the same way that a Fender does. Um, and then a, a really great, interesting job of the of the bridge with this kind of large, seemingly floating, but it's actually connected, single-piece um, bridge um, that, that actually works very well and is quite old school in... in you know, in many ways, and a single active pickup bang in the middle of the body. So it's actually, you know, for an incredibly modern instrument, it's actually super simple, um, and they're not—they're not too much money either. Um, they're like they're sub a thousand pounds, and I think you, you can get them on—you can get them through Base Direct. I think Base Direct in the UK stock them on. You know, I'm sure they're available everywhere in the US, but yeah. Um, you know, they're like it's a really good price for you know a kind of legendary bass luthier who, <laughs> um, you know, who's come back with some really interesting models. It's kind of a great like mo classic meets modern sort of thing. Yeah, I I really like them, and they have like a there's another like a higher end of those series that I think are roughly around. It, last time I looked, I think you can probably get them for around twenty five. 100 us i think locally for like the more handcrafted versions of those but yeah like they're they're definitely worth checking out or if you can if you can you know if you see one when there are shops that are open and whatnot yeah um, 
Yeah, yeah. The uh, the um, is it the is it the NXT series that you have as an upright? Uh, yes, yeah. So I and mine is the NXT. So they have the NXT A, which is uh, which is active, which is also because Ned's an engineer is one of those like you can charge you charge it from a quarter inch jack. Right. Um, you basically plug a quarter inch jack into it, and it charges the internal battery, and I it's see. just. You know, like one of those like super simple, fascinating bits of electro magic, and um, but mine, mine is just um, mine's just passive, so it's just a passive upright. But it's wait, so like a passive piezo then? Yep. Oh right. Well, yeah, uh, yes, yeah. I mean, there's nothing to plug in, but it, yeah. So it's it's um, yeah. So impedance wise, I usually run it through some stuff, but it's you know like a decent clean DI signal and stuff from it, but. But yeah, it's that's that's all it is really. Yeah, pretty that's simple, straightforward. Cool. Yeah. Naomi, if you do you play upright at all? I don't yet. No, um, I haven't haven't delved. Um, it's something I've intended doing for a long time, but um, I suppose haven't had the the time or the gig perhaps that has that has necessitated learning. Yeah, um, I would love to though. How about yourself, Joe? No, I no, I suck at it. I suck at it. So back at uh, that's that's not the attitude. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I I play uh, I play fretless a lot because I'm cool. you know no good at, at double bass. Um, right. Okay. I can't get. Um, I I I love everything about the look of double bass, but it's it's weird that it, it I guess it gets lumped so much into the same thing, and and obviously you know JD you you play both, mm. but for me there's they're just such a million miles away from each other, um, like sonically, um, that there there isn't so much that I like about um, a double bass sound in loads in in you know in in lots of ways. It's such a it's such a difficult instrument to apply to lots of genres, and so I, I think you know I go through go through phases of being really into it and then sort of not being into it at all. Um, I'd love to learn to play the uh, um, the the guitar, the mariachi bass, the big six string oh, yeah, yeah. thing with, oh, with yeah. the nine frets. I'd love to be able to play one of those. That's been on my list for a little while. There was a company that. I can't remember who now, so no, not good, <laughs> not good <laughs> podcasting. But there was a company that that reissued, did them as a, a a kind of a really sort of modern electric version that you could, um, you know, that would be great for normal bass players to learn on. Okay. I always meant to get one, but I've I've not got round to it yet. That will be my next thing. I nice. Think. Not that yeah. it's any direct replacement whatsoever, but what are your thoughts on the um, on the U bass? The because, U bases actually sound great. The Carla U bases, yeah, yeah, they really easy to play because they, you know, they play like a like a fretless. That you get mm-hmm. those great big rubber strings on them. I I actually think they sound really good. I think the problem is that there's a lot of price points. Of there is, the, isn't of, there? Of yeah. And if you pick up the basic one, you know, surprisingly, it's not going to play very well or sound very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you get the, the, the better quality ones and they're really good. One thing that I found takes some getting used to is tuning. Right. Have you, have you, is, have it, is that because of the silicone strings that they're, that they're that much softer, that it's, it's more sensitive um, or um, it's a million turns to get a slight um, adjustment mm-hmm. because of the, 
you know, because of this, the the nature of the material of the strings. So it's one of those things that we, we had one, like, just sitting around it back when I was at, at GAC. It was just sitting in our office, so it was the sort of thing we picked up and played every now and again. Mm-hmm. It sounded great, but when it went out of tune, like, it, it took me ages to realise that I was like, oh, these tuners don't work, and then I'm, we eventually realised that they do. It's just, it's going to take you five minutes to get back in tune, so... I don't know if they'd have some issues uh, for sort of live application, but then I guess they're really designed for studio application for small studios sure. that can't necessarily fit a double bass, sure. you know, for that one song that you need a double bass for. So yeah. what you're saying is it wouldn't necessarily fit the fit the polymath bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. But they do have some cool ones. I'm actually I'm looking at them now on on basedirect.co.uk. Yeah, have you mm. have you seen the the journey like Oh, the, that's exactly yeah, what I'm looking the one at. the one I keep looking at. Like there's a what is it? Like a red one or like an orange one that sort of looks like that. What was the Chet Atkins Gibson? Yeah, you know, like that kind of orangey thing, like the Tennessee gentleman, whatever that model is. But yeah, but yeah, but like it's or it's just, it's it has like the f holes on it and everything. Like yeah, yeah. yeah so one's... no, yeah, f holes instead of a, a sort of a, 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 a you know the normal sound hole in the middle. And yeah, the one I'm looking at is like a, is black Does with it... a gorgeous white binding on yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to ask about the binding. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. That I mean, that's a that's a that's a load of fun. I would say, listener, if you've not played one, they are tons of fun. They're like four hundred pounds for like a top end one, uh, and you can get them fretted or fretless. You know, if you want to be lazy, but you know yeah. they're. <laughs> but um, they are really good. I think those twenty one inch scales are probably better than the twenty inch scales. Mm-hmm. I, I I imagine that makes them. A bit better but yeah 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 i'd say tonally there's there's probably a little more going on there is also sorry not to derail Mm. this entirely seeing as we Mm. asked about double bass (laughs) but um there's some interesting uh variations on it that i'm pretty certain have come out long since the the kala u bass from gold tone they do a micro bass which has the same um the same silicon strings and they even do a solid version the me bass which is a 23 inch scale which sits around the kind of 500 pound mark. And that is well worth checking out if you're feeling into this silicone string, but fretted vibe for that strange... What was the company? Gold Tone. Gold Tone, yeah. Gold hmm. Tone. They yeah. produce really nice folk instruments, acoustics, that sort of thing. in the, I, I, you know, the budget range, like I, I believe most of their instruments would sit under the, well under the thousand pound mark. But um. Yeah, check out their micro bass, micro bass twenty five and micro twenty three, I think. But if um if the Kala U bass is just that bit too small, but you're after that tone, um, yeah, these yeah, are an totally, interesting choice. Yeah, totally worth a look. Yeah, I definitely prefer those sort of things to you know. Was it Taylor that released? I think they actually also called it the micro bass. I can't remember exactly the acoustic bass that they released. That was like a um. GSE Mini bass. Yeah. Yeah. GS I, Mini E bass. Oh, was it Excuse the me. GS Mini? That that was what it was. Yeah. I um I remember when they came in and and they they asked me to do like a video demo of it. Sure. And I, I I couldn't get it to um stay in tune long enough to do a video demo of it. Oh dear. Um, it, just the the idea of that scale length was just so was so short that I found it, it, it very difficult to use in in sort of the application it was designed for it just seemed like a weird thing to go for um it's a funny scale isn't it 
like I completely get um I completely get the appeal of an acoustic bass that's more compact than your um your regular scale acoustic bass because it, it does seem cumbersome to a lot of players versus especially if you're used to an electric bass. But there's obviously some sweet point of getting it right in terms of uh the natural intonation being okay, the string thick the string gauge being being appropriate to to the tuners and and all of the hardware and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know from guitar shop days again like the only acoustic bass we ever seemed to sell was the Warwick Alien. Do you guys remember oh, that? Yeah. You see that? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh um a yeah. Was, was that the Helborg signature or that was a it was a variation on the Helborg. Oh, was it? I didn't I realize. Th- oh, I think he well, I think I'd have to I'd have to look at I hadn't thought about those for ages, but uh <laughs> the Helborg signature was yeah, uh, those those are great. I mean anything that Jonas has his name on I kind of want to check out just cuz I'm intrigued if nothing else but well, yeah like, yes. oh, yeah so, so to, I mean moving on swiftly moving out of the alien base before even describing it to listeners moving into <laughs> Jonas Helborg territory yeah um everything that guy's released has been absolutely incredible um when I was in in Germany at like the first gitcon um and it I was I was there with with Juan Aldrich and they had he at the time Warwick were making him one of the Jonas Helborg um, bases, one of the signature models mm. for him. So he was having a fretless one made with a um, with a neck pickup, and he was having his hollow. But they had there for us to check out, which both him and I were playing, was the first ever prototype of the Helborg base. Which um, Naomi, have you seen the the original Helborg base? I haven't seen it. Let me have. A so look this here. is kind of like it's like an ES one seven five guitar body shape. So a big, deep jazz bodied guitar, but it's double cut. But it's solid. The original one was solid, so it's as thick as a jazz guitar, but completely solid. And okay. the original one had a single jazz pickup in the bridge, and and that that was it. So it was wow. it was heavy. It was something. It, it was. It, I think it was like I can't remember what they said it was. Eighteen pounds. Like it was. Mm-hmm. It was. It weighed a, a, a ridiculous amount. And then because it just had that one jazz bass pickup right in the bridge position, it was the trebliest, like, but mm. like, like mid heavy because of the wood. It was just, it was the opposite of a bass. It was like a, a lead bass, but it was fantastic, like a 32 inch scale. It was really cool. Like everything he did was really innovative. But even, even uh, Jonas Helberg himself after that first one was like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't make this solid. So. <laughs> The, the the models that you buy today aren't aren't solid. It was just that that first prototype, um, which was cool. Very Sounds highly unusual in almost every which way. Yeah, I I Quite want the to, creation. Yeah, exactly. I I keep wanting to buy one, but they're about six thousand um, pounds. Oh my and god! It's just it's just too much to you know to spend on a base that I know would only be appropriate for like you know the occasional thing. Um, and and sitting down presumably. If, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, okay. So it's like you know, I guess speaking of uh, instruments that we'd like to get, Naomi, you've been uh, you've been thinking about a Chowney bass. Recently. I've been I've been shopping, been shopping a little. 
uh, hmm. virtually, I might add, haven't set foot in any stores just yet. Um, but I did get to try a base that I'd had my eye on for a little while, which is one of the Chowney SWB1, the Scott Whitley signature short scale base. Um, so finally got my hands on one to try and I'm feeling quite a lot like it's one that I'm going to add to my collection shortly. So such an interesting company. Yeah, right. So um, this particular model is it's clearly in the body is, is you know, an homage to um, Alembic, the, the sort of late 70s models that Alembic were rocking. So it's got that kind of double horn it's got an ash body it's got um are they angled jazz pickups yeah They're jazz yeah, yeah. jazz pickups but almost like in a slotted position um and i believe they might be emg pickups actually um, yeah and at least on the, the pro ones i think because there's a couple models because i looked at the swb pro a couple years ago and i, I know mm-hmm. those have yeah they come with the uh yeah they, they come with emgs for that one because i think there's a couple ranges but yeah EMG. sure yeah but um had a had a fairly comprehensive try of it um and tonally it just seems like a wide palette which is right up my street for playing across different styles because i like to be able to play stoner rock i like to be able to play (laughs) slap i like to be able to run through some funk bits um so I'm aware it's a big ask of of any new basses I'm taking on, and it is across the board a beautiful instrument. Um, they look fantastic. They start they do, at five hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah. yeah, and and this is the model I'm looking at is the is the SWB one. So it's um, serious bang for the buck. I can attest to. So I'll some... re- I'll report back if I do end oh, up yeah. picking it up, playing some shows, trying it through some some different setups because I'm so it's super active. curious. It's active as well. Mm-hmm. It's a mm-hmm. 530 pounds angled jazz bass pickups active. The finishes are really cool. It, like a range of finishes. I thought it just came in the natural ash because that's the one that you see it in everywhere. Yeah, they do a few transparents as well. It's the natural ashes is the one I'm likely going to be picking up, um, uh-huh. which is beautiful. They've, you know, they've clearly picked their picked their pieces for, for each body very nicely. Um, the few separate models I've seen of all that beautiful grain, super smart looking base, which you'd forgive any company for potentially not doing at that price point. You know, it's not um, it's not a break the bank uh, price for a base, but um, you really appreciate when when within that budget, the, the company really goes the extra mile. Yeah. Yeah. To deliver. Absolutely. And they do they do like JD said, they do the SWB Pro as well, which is mm-hmm. only eight hundred and fifty pounds in a in a an ash and walnut. Well, it's ash body again, but with a walnut top. Yeah, that, um, that walnut top calls to me in my sleep like i i do love a dark base <laughs> yeah yeah this it looks absolutely fantastic i can't believe they're doing these for the price they are and their chowney's thing seems to be short scale though is that mm-hmm. do, do, is that a is that a company thing yeah or is it just that this model is is that like part of their mantra yeah as i mean as far as i know like um i mean and i've spoken to chani a couple times so like i as far as it, it's sort of a was filling a need and seeing that there weren't a lot of variations in a short scale base at a reasonable price point. 
And so basically started the company to fill that need. So there's, it's like a lot of their stuff is like short scale, but you'll see, you see like clearly the Olympic nod and then you'll see like, you know, like Rickenbacker vibes or backer, depending, we can have that debate. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, you see some other stuff that are just like, like, uh, here's another bass that I really like. There was a hollow body, you know, just, just one of the like semi, semi acoustics that was, yeah, they're, they're all super solid bases, like really, really great. And if you're, you know, like if you're looking at having a bunch of different kinds of bases, you know, like it's, it's sort of nice to see that sort of stuff, especially if like short scales, your thing, it kind of feels like that's, that's where they are. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Is, has Alembic been a thing for you, Naomi? Is that why you're looking at this or is it totally separate from that? It is actually totally separate from that. Yeah. I've, um, I've not got to, I've actually not got to play in Alembic just yet. Um, quite a few, players that I've seen gigging over the years, um, especially kind of in some kind of heavier kind of stoner-ish bands have been huge fans of Alembic. Um, definitely not that I'm not a fan, just haven't had one fall into my hands just yet. So um, yeah, the SWB one is coming to me from a player who picked it up and uh, realized afterward it's a little different to what they're looking for, right. uh, which suits me because it's a lot like what I'm looking for. <laughs> um so yeah we'll we'll see where that one goes yeah that, i'm very excited to see what happens with that these just look like incredible quality i and i'm just very excited to see an active short scale to be honest <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah it is it is unusual right and in terms of um i mean in terms of build quality it's it's feel like I say this a lot, but it, it really is bang for your book. It's it yeah. plays like a bass about three times its price. Yeah. Um super fast neck. The next the neck feels really slim though. It feels like you're playing kind of a, a chunkier jazz neck um right. in terms of you know in terms of depth, kind of like a, a D shaped neck perhaps, but it's nice and narrow up around the first fret. Plays super fast, uh set up beautifully as well. They've um yeah, just really delivered on it. And they've gone for even on the uh, on the entry level price version. They've gone for those uh, monorail bridge pieces. So each of your strings is dealt with on its own individual bridge to you know to to minimise string rattle moving across mm-hmm. the other strings. I mean, you know, I'm just, that's all much of a muchness as far as I'm concerned. But still, it's nice to see such a premium touch on on kind of something at that price point. That's very very cool indeed. For um, sure. Now, like for for home use, that is something I spoke about this on the Guitarnet's podcast, but I want, wanted to mention it on the bass version as well. Um, I recently got sent a um, a dark glass element, um, and I'd just like to kind of strongly recommend this to to people as like a cool option for you know in this lockdown period where we're all stuck at home. Um, but yeah, so Dark Glass have released their element like a couple of weeks ago. Have either of you seen this? I've seen it, but I, I don't. I I didn't. I haven't. I don't know much about it. No, I, no, no. That's. I looked at. I used to really, really like their Supersymmetry uh, compressor, but yeah. so so tell me more about this Dark Glass. I'm excited. Well, this it was so they've released. So it's a headphone amp, mm. um, but it's an IR loaded headphone amp. Oh right, yes. Um, and it's it, just you know just if you wanted some premium features uh it's uh it's touch controlled so you've got like a um 
yeah, your sort of three levels, um, which is your blend between your signals straight from your bass and the and the IR loaded headphone amplifier. You also have two headphones, so you can, you know, I guess if you want to play the person you live with some bass <laughs> if you want to if you want to serenade your your highly tolerant partner with your bass playing yes, is, is exactly. what you're getting at Joe. I, I can't that's, think of that's why okay. and that's okay that's it yeah I finally guess that's okay. finally we've been given the chance we've all as bassists hoped for i'm sure there is a reason and listeners are probably sort of you know sort of yelling at the podcast that i've misunderstood why there are two headphones but i don't know why there are two mm. headphone inputs you can only plug in one guitar why would you be playing so i don't understand okay it doesn't it doesn't matter i'm gonna i'll, I'll leave that one but it is incredibly cool comes with five different um sort of ir cab simulations um, so there's no like EQ or anything that you can mess around with. I guess, to be honest, the sort of people that play Dark Glass are going to be playing active basses. That's not a slight. I just mean it's true. Uh, you know, people who like these sort of Apple-looking products are probably playing active guitars. But, um, yeah. Speak for with... yourself, but okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, that is me being prejudiced. Um, but it comes with five um, uh, sort of IR-loaded cab simulations already and then you can change them you can usb it in and you can switch them up on the on the dark glass website to other ones which is really cool it's just kind of a really advanced headphone amplifier for people playing at home i thought like what a cool awesome. feature perfect to be released at this sort of at this time as well so was this released only in the only in the last few months then yeah yeah, yeah like two okay. weeks ago three weeks oh, ago sick. something, something okay. like that that uh, it, it came out yeah a, like a, a really cool option because um, well, go on, JD. I was gonna say what else? Like, so I'm, I want to proselytize the use of of you know uh, cab sims and and everything. So I I use those quite a bit if I'm trying to record, like if you're trying to record bass with distortion direct, uh, in you know like at, with distortion on direct into your you know laptop or you know, direct into a desk, like it's it makes so much difference to have a cab sim on there because at least for me, I find most with most of my distortions, they sound pretty flat and terrible unless they're, you know, mic'd up through a cabinet. And so just even doing that when I'm sort of demoing stuff or just getting some sounds sort of recording with pedals into the box, like it's so, it makes such a difference and gets rid of all that sizzliness that you kind of, you can often get with, distortions so i think mm -hmm. like even if it's not just a headphone amp like just thinking about it as as part of your signal path from pedal board into a di is yeah yeah would be amazing well yeah you can use it as long as you've got a class d head you can use it um as a cab sim straight from there as well for either practicing or recording and you can utilize the uh the cab sims there which is a you know a nice alternative to some of the sort of larger multi-effects pedals that will be offering you you know ir uh ir things or purchasing them through your door as well it's nice to have it kind of in a in like a a, a piece of hardware i think it's a really cool product um just looking but, at it there joe is it so are we looking at ribbon con like or sorry ribbon style controllers so is it three touch strips on yeah, top yeah yeah that's super strips. cool you yeah, know what that really reminds cool. me of it's like um i don't know if any or many listeners are familiar with the ableton push 
but it's mm-hmm. a it's a beautiful piece of design on the part of software controllers but it kind of harks to that which is um it's a cool kind of high-tech nod as opposed to the knobs that we'd uh that we'd all be used to on paddles yeah exactly i think it's a really nice feature it's mm. really it's it's really interesting for a company to make a high-end piece of kit out of a headphone amplifier yeah you know yes uh, for sure that's and- kind of not and I will say, I I seen this come across, you know, just various like press releases and and you know Instagram channels. Didn't realize those were anything but LEDs. Um, oh, they were yeah. just like I didn't realize you could actually interface with them. That's mm. great. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool indeed. Um, now, uh, now I guess you know, moving on, um, we should uh, we should have a look at some questions from the Facebook group because there were there were quite a few and they're going to be uh, I think they're going to be pretty interesting so we'll we'll start off we'll start off with uh, Brandon Ivy who's um who's taken a, a photo of his favorite drive pedals and he said bass nerds what's your favorite bass specific drive pedal he loves all of these the uh, the Lucy Dreamer um which he thinks is the smoothest and most natural sounding um and then i can't see what else does he say oh yeah the pork and pickle um great that's a way huge yeah way huge which is fantastic the the rattler uh which i don't know the bb preamp which i think is absolutely fantastic is the rattler the oh one of the jam pedals and jam jam pedal is obviously the an an absolutely fantastic company Mm -hmm. um who we on guitar nerds have had loads of time for us they were probably the first boutique pedal brand to ever enter gak so that's very cool indeed but um but yes so let's talk about let's talk about uh, distortion pedals and i guess kind of on that note we should talk about we should talk about pedal boards in general because last week we spoke about bases and we spoke a bit about amps um but we didn't speak so much about pedal boards so i don't really actually have any idea what either of you guys have on your pedal board um so yeah let's talk about naomi let's uh let's let's talk about your favorite drives first of all but also your pedal board entire my pedal board entire well you can't see because we are remotely recording a podcast but i'm mm. doing the grimace that i only do as um <laughs> as i'm just about to admit how cobbled together my uh not just my bass but also my pedal board is my entire rig <laughs> is a uh, uh some say a comedy of errors. I like to say trial and error over many, many years. Um, but I suppose going from going from the drive, the kind of meat and potatoes of my board, the the effect I enjoy the most certainly would be a drive, would be um, more so fuzz even. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a fuzz aficionado. Um, I guess, you, you know, as, as someone who's into... into doom and sludgy stuff fuzz mm-hmm. becomes very important yeah the sludgier the better for sure so i'm using um i'll get a picture up um that i can send on uh maybe for the the group and the socials of uh it's a handmade fuzz by a gentleman called ross hooley um who i'm not sure is making pedals even anymore but he has a fuzz that i bought um and has really done the trick for me for for quite some time. So it's a super meaty, uh, superb low end fuzz. Is it um, based on anything? 
I'm not sure entirely what it's based on, uh, only because I bought it secondhand. So I think it's been through a few. I think it's been through a few owners um, before it before it reached me. So I don't. Um, I don't have anything particular I can point it to as being a clone of. Um, but if you, I mean, in terms of kind of the grit, you'd be talking like maybe like your soul food, like base big moth as a right so it's like old school fuzz it's sort of flabby floppy fuzz rather yeah. than sort of tight gated compressed fuzz exactly yeah it wouldn't be wouldn't be a super modern sounding fuzz um but in terms of heaviness dirge uh it, it ticks my boxes um beyond that then and probably the pedal i've used the most uh in my time playing bass is an aguilar agro so I know we talked in the last episode about... Um, oh, you love Aguilar. I love them. <laughs> I'm a big, big Aguilar fan. Um, so I think I mentioned before I had been playing a Tonehammer 500 for quite some time uh, before upgrading recently to the AG750. Um, sorry, AG700. And of course, the aggro is based on the drive channel Uh or sorry, the drive circuit that's within the Tonehammer 500. Oh, is it? Oh, is that it what it is? is? Yeah. So it's just expanded controls from... Because it's just a drive control, right, on it, the Tonehammer? Exactly, yeah. It's just a drive. You've no other, um, you've no other parameters on the head itself. Um, they, did, they did do the Tonehammer preamp, um, but I went straight from just owning the head to, to picking up the pedal as well um, because I, for a long time I was playing in a grunge band that... Um, somehow uh, for some reason at the time it seemed to make sense to just max out the the drive circuit on the head and then i realized <laughs> that this was potentially not giving me um the control i perhaps desired across my pedal board so is it not foot switchable the drive on the on the aquila head not no not on the not on the 500 no which is a, a funny a funny um design piece on behalf of aguilar but again i don't think Every player was doing what I was doing, which is potentially not to be recommended, which was at the time maxing out the drive for each and every gig. <laughs> but the um, yeah, but as I said, the the aggro remains one of the one of my preferred drives in terms of holding on to um, a tight low end, um, providing the kind of grit and presence that um, certain other kind of bass drives might lack a little or especially um or especially kind of using a bass through a guitar drive. So it, it, it kind of gives me everything across the board in terms of low end right up to high end. It has a really interesting set of controls, like a really unconventional set of controls that make perfect sense for creating a bass drive sound, but they are very unusual. Yeah, so it's got it's got level, it's got, is it saturation or distortion? Saturation. Saturation, yeah. yeah. Um, then you've got your contour, which basically will... Let you um, so it's like let, new metal uh, at one end, and then yeah. sort of old school rock at the other. Exactly. So it'll it'll scoop at one <laughs> end, and it'll it'll kind of boost your mid range at the other. So I I usually have it towards the towards the mids boost, um, and then you've got your presence, which I think somewhere around two k it'll give you a boost as well. Right. I see. So you can kind of get super nasal and gnarly um, with it. It's. I mean, I've I. I feel like I've described it as straightforward more than any other adjective, but um, yeah, I mean, if you're after a, a tube style distortion, I, I do still think it's um, it's a pretty kind of meat and potatoes option. I, I've never tried one, but I actually, I, I've never even heard one, but just on the back of the control options, mm. kind of contour and presence are exactly what I want to be able to 
do. I want to be able to give it like some mid focus, but I want quite a lot of presence. I want that sparkle at mm-hmm. the 2K and just having those controls isolated and not me trying to find them on a normal three band or something. That That's sure. actually a really... A really usable pen. I, I need to get a hold of one of these. They, yeah. It looks like they're they're sub two hundred pounds as well. So um, they are. Yeah, again, actually, great value for money. This is a great pedal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've still not heard it, but I'm excited by it. Just, uh, just I mean, off the back. I like I've been saying it to everyone inside and outside of guitar stores for many many years, and uh, those who choose to believe me go home very happy with their <laughs> with their greatly improved tone. I, um, I I do think it's of a style. You know, you you there are more versatile pedals out there. Um, it is a, a stylistic tube style distortion, but if you like the the fundamental uh, tone of this pedal, like you say, you can um, you can within that have great versatility um, across your. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I see. Um, but yeah, working through working through the rest of my board, we've got a Boss OC2. Um, super classic. Oh, yeah. yeah. Proper classic. Do you super know what year it is? Octave. I don't know what year it is. I've I've... I need to consult the people I've bought gear from in previous years. You know that because I've um, I've only increased in near in nerddom. I feel like in in more recent times, um, yes. whereas before it was just I hear this is cool. Um, here's my money. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the OC two is such an essential for bass players. The the OC two is probably the longest standing pedal on my on my pedal board. Um, and and yeah, and and I got I managed to get like a, a, a I bought off of Matt Knight, one of uh one of the Guitar Nerds hosts. I managed to buy a nineteen eighty four OC two, which is uh, right here, I have actually recently resigned it from my pedal board, but it is a uh, it's uh the nineteen eighty four OC twos were the ones that said Octava instead of Octave. Yeah. Um, that was it. That was the, the key difference, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was it. Just the 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 addition of the R on the end. But um 
but but yeah, just such a, a wonderful octave. Like amazing that uh, you know, and I've been very vocal with Matt about this that I think the OC three mm-hmm. isn't very good, but the the OC two, like you know, a pedal that started in the eighties and all analog octaver was one of the defining pedals and one of the only octave pedals you can buy even today, still today, that tracks well for bass like that actually tracks when you get down to the low end and it does it because it's kind of lazy it's not very attack driven mm-hmm. octave it's kind of a it's a synthy subby sort of swelling in sort of um octave and because of that that sort of natural uh sound that it has it it, it just works so well i thoroughly recommend to listen to, you know follow follow sort of you know naomi and me on 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 making that an addition to your pedal board because they still don't go for that much money. I don't know what they go for, like 200 quid? Around 200 should get you one for sure, yeah. Which but as outrageous. as you say, absolutely. And as you say, I, I I would feel very hard pushed to find a pedal to this day that would track as faithfully as the as the OC2. Yeah, yeah. Um, but beyond that and going, delving further into sub-frequencies somehow... Next in the board is uh, my DOD Meatbox. Oh, um, wow. There we go. Oh, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. A Juan Alderette essential. Is it an original Meatbox or is it the reissue? It's not. So it's not the one with the bizarre controls that were something like, I don't know if you remember the controls on the original, but they were literally something like ham beef <laughs> chunk and some I'm, I'm not i'm not uh, i'm not recalling them correctly but they were obscure uh no it, it is indeed the newer version um because right. it, it got reissued like a few years ago right it did yeah it got reissued and got re-discontinued so when it got re-discontinued i said uh now is my time i should right. pick one up but i i saw um uh a superb player called neil darrington who plays with a band called bark uh gigging with his and afterwards i i had to go up to him and say please can you tell me what made that tone at about three minutes 15 into your third song because yes i counted because that's how good this tone sounded (laughs) and um he he provided some sage advice which was to uh to let an engineer know if you were at a sound check that you're going to be using this pedal because it is it is a risky a risky number for any nearby pa any any unsuspecting speakers should know all about the meat box before it. Uh, it is a it nightclub in a pedal. <laughs> you you make it sound almost kitsch, but really it is this um, this very serious subsynth that that means business and sounds um, so clean, so subtle um, in its in its frequencies, while while also. Um, sounding absolutely huge so that's that's a super cool one the original um, ones had hit like 300 quid plus on yeah. on the second hand market i don't know if the reissues have done that yet i i i did exactly what you did naomi and, and absolutely meant to purchase one when it got reissued and then i didn't and then it got discontinued so i never mm-hmm. actually owned one i feel terrible about that but i've no idea if they're still affordable maybe i should buy one they yeah i mean you're not um they definitely haven't joined the original Meatbox in price. I'm pretty sure used you might get one in the 150 to 200 pound uh, sort of sort of range. So definitely not um, definitely not too high. Um, I don't want to take up too much time talking about my board, so I'll I'll try and try and get to the the weird ones which are straggling at the end. <laughs> so um, beyond that, then a pedal which was gifted to me a very long time ago, but became useful 
um, in more atmospheric work that I did is the Electroharmonics Holy Stain, um, which is a combination reverb, tremolo, switchable, um, and a drive has a has a uh, drive and fuzz option within. Um, the drive and fuzz within the Holy Stain sound absolutely meaty. They sound mental. And then combine that with the, the room or hall reverb and you've got a, a pretty wonderful drone sound. Um, so I feel like it's a slightly lesser known electroharmonics pedal and especially to bass, bassists. Um, For sure, yeah. Yeah, but it's, um, it's, it's proven sufficiently weird and wacky to get me through some, um, some big and slow riffs. Yeah, I guess is reverb. I guess reverb's kind of an essential on bass then for big sludge things. Like it's it's one of the effects I've had the least committed to my board. But is it sure? Is it? Do you think? Do you think it's yeah? Is it an essential? Um. Well, technically speaking, I mean, many years ago, the small bit of kind of college training I did was in audio, and you know, you're kind of told that bass and reverb are they can be a little bit chalk and cheese just because of the lower notes. Um, potentially garbling a, a reverb effect when when um, they process. Um, but in terms of kind of more atmospheric, I mean, even into kind of post-rock and stuff like that, the the things you can do in the higher register, especially on your D and G strings with with reverb are, are really, um, really scenic and really uh, quite brilliant in terms of, as I said, creating drones or creating... Um, creating any number of kind of more spacey effects so in in the case of the holy stain i would say it's it's not the most straightforward uh reverb pedal in that it's it's you know it's quite stylistic um the controls are quite general because outside of the drive and fuzz options you have you literally have room you have hall you've tremolo and you actually have a pitch shift on there which can bring you up or down two tones ah. um i believe so it, it's it's an unusual beast. I feel like electroharmonics are quite good at creating those, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially when they combine effects. Um, but yeah, the things, as I said, I've used it for have been kind of big, big squealing, very long sustained notes. And then in the lower end, just super big drones. I see. I see. And is that, is the, the reverb complete your board? Is that your the last reverb, thing? the very last that has been on there for some gigs has been the Canyon, also by Electroharmonics. Oh, really? The Canyon yeah. Delay? What a fantastic delay pedal. One of my absolute favourites. I know, So versatile. Right? So mm -hmm. versatile. Yeah, so a much more recent edition. I think, did it come out in 2017 or 2018? Um, it, I think it was 2018. Actually, a yeah. couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about the fact that, you know, it, again, back at GAC, we were trying to record soundscape, like, film scores as, right. as videos. And mm -hmm. we were doing things like uh, the the theme from Interstellar or from Blade Runner. And I had to build and recreate that sound with a looper and loads of pedals. And the Canyon was an absolute go-to because it was just so versatile. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they nailed it, I have to say, design-wise. Um, the Canyon straight out the box. Um, I, was in, I was in a store at the time when it came out. And I remember sitting down um, to give it a quick try. I'm pretty sure it was like closing in sort of to Christmas time. And I remember thinking, this is going to be super popular the layout, everything about it, the controls are so simplistic. All you've got is you've got your effects level, you've got your delay, you've got your feedback. Um, everything is tappable. And then beyond that, you've got tons of modes. So um, 
in terms of the stuff I've done, it would have been kind of my own um, sort of electro compositions, I guess, with bass. And I do quite a lot with the the shimmer mode, uh, with the octave mode. So you get this cool kind of almost eventide-esque um, octave delay. And yeah, that's that's been about it. That, that really is more kind of, a, I suppose, an artistic tool than a kind of fundamental tone tool, of course. Of course. Um, but in terms of an easy to use delay, uh, as a first delay, perhaps, um, I couldn't recommend it more. Um, they've obviously since then brought out the Grand Canyon, which kind of follows the design a little more of the, you know, the Memory Man kind of more classic um, reverb layouts in terms of kind of connectivity as well. But the the original Canyon, the OG Canyon, if you like, is nice, small footprint, super neat, super well designed. Yeah, and not a lot of money as well, like 120, mm -hmm. 130 pounds, something like that. Like yeah. super affordable mm -hmm. um, for you know such an incredible, um, uh, an incredible pedal. Yeah, yeah. it's very cool. Yeah, but thus concludes my board currently. Oh, there's lots. Board. I'm, I'm certain there's lots of interesting bits that I'm forgetting about that I'll be sure <laughs> to interrupt you both with in in future episodes. Well, I th I'm I'm sure we could we we could and should do you know. It, episodes on on bass drive which is probably the most you know sort of contested um kind of thing so much more than the guitar drive i think there's there's so much more to bass drive and what makes a good one and a bad one and what works and what doesn't certainly for me mm -hmm. it's the effect that i've changed out you know it's countless times in search of the right one so i think there's a there's a lot of kind of discussion there but jd we mm -hmm. should talk about you and your your literal boxes of pedals <laughs> yeah. um yeah so i mean that's probably an entire um month or two of, of <laughs> but we, we, we should we should start maybe by 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 trying to answer brandon's question yeah. before we before we move into the rest oh, of your I board am, so. i am on it i'm going to talk oh, about yeah. drives right here so <laughs> so what, what i was going to say um about that is that i it drive is one of the things that i it's probably the thing that i'm fussiest about that and octaves um, but with drives, I like Naomi, I'm much more into the more vintage style fuzz, like analog, just big woolly walls of sound. Like I like, I just, it like, I just, I don't really play the, the new modern style gated fuzz that much. Like I keep really trying to, and I just, it just never really sticks. Yeah, but I, I, would, can, I can imagine that it's it's a difficult thing to find tonally for bass. Yeah, and I think like I just I'm just not in I just don't play in groups where it would make sense. Yeah, uh, you know, and like I do a lot of my own stuff, and it's it just it never really, it's never really felt right for me. Um, but so I usually have at least at least four different drives on my board, um, and I think now. Uh, what I actually have on my board is the way huge pork and pickle, uh, which is great because it's got just dr drive and drive and fuzz on it. And I quite I really like the fuzz on that one as far as as far as it not being necessarily too boutique -y or um, and the fact that like I could pick that pedal up, you know, wherever if I needed to, like if something happened to mine. So it's um you know, like I can, I can go to most, like most cities will have a shop that will have way huge that you can just get, you know, if, if needs mm -hmm. be, um, again, when that was a thing. Um, but really my favorite, my favorite 
distortion I use the most. That one, the harmonic percolator, uh, is the but and I have one of the old seventies ones, so What? I, yeah, you've you've seen this. Oh yeah, uh, I do yeah, know this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so I have one of the old harmonic percolators that It goes around the wrong way. Yeah, it's so good. Um I and that one I really like because it's so versatile. Like you can get it with just a tiny, tiny bit of breakup, or you can just go into pretty much sheer nonsense in a way and it gets really gainy and noisy and trebly and it's so fun to work with like that that level of chaos that you can get like in very very shellac style or very you know any anything like that but i mean billy gibbons plays one steve albini like bob weston from shellac play them you know like it's it's pretty out there as far as you know like the the range you can get um, do you find it difficult to use the percolator without a blend well i it, it it depends so i i sort of have a a love-hate relationship with blends like i thought everything should have a blend for a long time just to to keep everything like subtle um like if needed because it's it's with bass especially it's so important to keep the low end and to keep the the cleanliness of the low end so to be able to articulate because otherwise it just gets lost um, which is great if you are trying to do that, but when you're when you're not trying to lose it, like that, that's why gated fuzz is a thing, right? <laughs> so you can still like stop the note when you want to stop the note, um, and also hear just sort of what pitch it actually is. Uh, like that's I I don't really find because I use it kind of like in a middle range, so it still shines through my bass. Like I still feel there's enough fundamental there. Plus, I have a couple different setups. So I had like JHS years and years and years ago made me a custom pedal that is basically uh, a clean blend so I can run my signal in and then I have a couple loops that now there are utility pedals that do this, but it, um, but it's, you know, I can run everything through. I have a, have an effects loop blend so I can blend all of it. And but usually the effects that like swallow up my low end, I'll put through the, I'll put through the that part of my sin so that I can blend in those pedals if I if I do want some clean sound. Right. Um but I I mean I think it's always useful to have a blend. I think it's it's great and I usually kind of kind of have a bit of clean. So like that way huge has that on it. Um yeah like I, I haven't found it to be difficult but I, I'm usually using it at times where I, it doesn't matter that it's there's not a clean bass signal below it, you know. So because if not, I would do another pedal that kind of does something, to, which is why I have multiple drive pedals on my board okay. all the time. So the other pedal that I I've just picked up in the last year or so um, that I quite like is is a tube screamer, but it's the one with. And let's get over debates about you know. Uh, <laughs> about ic chips um but <laughs> but the the tube screamer it's the new tube one that has that um like oh really like you bought valve. the white the yeah. white tube screamer yeah and so i have that and i quite like it because it it gives you a couple more options for a tube screamer and it gets like pretty it, it, it sounds just like a classic tube screamer but it it also has a blend and you can also sort of like like over gain it in a way um you can like collapse the front end and make it all fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like it gets pretty good, and that's I use that if I want just a kind like you know like a bit of breakup. Um, so if I'm playing like a slightly dirtier line than 
you know, let's say a big woolly wall of sound kind of thing. Um, and then my other sort of like at the moment kind of normally um, distortion I have is the the MXR bass distortion um, that that I quite like, which was I believe that's the one that was that Ryan from Fuzzrocious uh, helped design. Oh, really? um, I, oh, I didn't realize he'd helped design that. Sorry, yeah, I'm Ryan. pretty sure it's that one. I know he did with one. Maybe it's maybe it's separate. Up, but um, yeah, I know. Um, he, yeah, he had done some stuff. And that one that one's just really great. It's I actually um, I actually played that uh, when I was I was over a few years ago. Um, I did a show with Steve Lawson and uh, I just asked him because I knew he I mean, he has probably. 30 pedals with him at all times um <laughs> certainly back then, even if he's not playing and so like i asked him uh if, if i could borrow that one because they, they had just come out then and so i played i played the show with that pedal and i really liked it and he was like oh I'll, I'll you know give it to you and he and he actually just gave me that one last last january for this this nam so i i have the pedal i played a few years ago um now so it is <laughs> oh, that's uh, awesome yeah so it's um which is great and it's it's like a really a really good versatile distortion that you know gives you a lot of different sonic range but as far as as far as my favorite i mean i don't know i have i have some very special memories of a very special like a couple different 70s or um different eras of uh big muffs that i've had over over the years that like Again, those are there's just some they just weren't quite white, so I shifted them on and then and then got it's it's a never ending quest to find the the right fuzz. But like I'm I've been pretty pretty pleased with the that pork and pickle. Um, as far as like having an idea of like what if I just had one distortion slash fuzz on my board, which I haven't I haven't had since I don't know the nineties. Um, and, and so, it's hard we yeah know. it's it's just i just like so many different things i like them to do what they're best at and i like all the different shades of it so in that sense like i yeah like i always have the uh, i always have a handful of distortion sort of drives on my board um and then just a couple quick topics i think we can like sort of highlight because my, my board is ever evolving and you know like i don't have necessarily at the moment like all the the weird stuff in front of me but um uh massively into octaves um the two or three octaves that have been on my board so the oc the the boss oc i can't remember if i've i had an oc2 a long time ago and i i thought it was right but i never really got on with this synthiness or like there was like for me it never really tracked as well as I wanted to so likely it sounds like the OC3 is what I've been playing but mm -hmm. it was just there's something like it still always sounded a little fakey to me and I like right. so I have a I well one my favorite octave um is my 70s Mutron octave divider um, oh, okay. nice. which is great okay. um which is i think it is the epitome of oct of what i like in an octave sound where it's it's just an analog signal it breaks up it's got the octave up like ringer effect as well like you can it can do so much and and it sort of it tracks chords i'll say well but like it, <laughs> it sounds really musical when you track the chord because it's not a direct harmonization it's it's 
the octave below the sum of what you're playing. So it it's just still sort of it just puts it just puts a lower note be, below what you're doing, and it's it's really it's really great musical and like it the octave sound itself sounds great. So I have I have that pedal which doesn't really go out very often because it's um older than I am and finicky yeah. and and a beast to repair. Um so I have a clone of that that I built probably 10 years ago. Um and then I also have um probably the pedal that's been on my board the longest um is uh, a mid 90s EBS octave pedal so the octave bass it says nice. the old gray one where the the inputs are switched uh, basically the wrong way around so it works great with a harmonic percolator um, <laughs> actually those are at the top and on the back but still like it's yeah it's like one of those like it, it had always been like sideways on my board so that I could have um, patch cables going correctly and then it's but like that one I think I've made one repair to it since yes for the in the last 20 years that I've had it and I just had to replace the switch which you probably assume after 20 years and it's it's had you know beer spilled on it at you know from some guy in the front row at some show and it's had like all this and it's 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 there it's tracks so well and it sounds it sounds so good it's the closest Mutron sounding octave I've had and it's it's and it's also like just smoother like it's its own flavor but it's it's that right, vibe still but like same smoother. voice yeah that sounds cool I'd be super keen to to try one of those out because I, I agree with what you're saying the OC2 OC3 do add that sort of synthy vibe to to what they offer in terms of the octave effect don't they so this sounds like it's that bit more fundamental super simple um does what it says on the tin yeah yeah i really i really i haven't really played the new ones uh so mm -hmm. much so i'd like to check those out but i'm also like now i'm feeling like i should probably give like the the synthy vibes another go because i also uh, do a lot of synth stuff like it's just yeah. like yeah oh, it's, I, 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 still, <laughs> I i will stand by the ac2 <laughs> as being sort of the 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 most musical octave i've i've ever played um, but you, but but you know, I like we we both we you know, we do different things, I guess, mm -hmm. on the bass. But the yeah, the 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 OC two definitely for if for anyone who's thinking about getting into octave, I think maybe you use octave a lot more than I do. I think for as a if you're looking for a simple, very effective pedal that sounds very good at giving you an octave underneath everything that you're doing with the option of a second octave underneath which doesn't really track at all but it will be there will be some presence of something rumbly happening um then there's nothing better than an old 80s oc2 and they're still very affordable but yes of course yeah. the, i agree the mutron it absolutely a um a kind of holy grail of of octave pedals the other the other thing is they are so Mutron is like Musictronics is back. I think that's the name of them. But they they are making them they again. They are back. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and I think that I think the octave dry, the dividers are out. So I'm pretty sure because I I have the I have the fa I've tried all of them. And yeah, and uh, if um they sound anything like it, it's certainly worth doing. And I think I'm probably going to end up picking up one of the modern ones just for ease of use. And also real estate, because you know the octave divider I have is, it's it's bigger than the the new small 
you know, like 808s that like Roland has. And so it's just like, it's like I could have a drum machine on my board or an octave pedal. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And then just quickly, uh, I have an old uh, envelope is, is big for what I do. So I have a envelope filter is, is a thing for you. Yeah. And I mean, and I have, I use it a lot with distortion usually just because I think there are certain distortions that work really well with it. Like the, the MXR, um, and also the harmonic percolator, but I really like the MXR with an envelope because it just like really makes it pop. Um, and not necessarily in like a funk way, but just in like one of those sort of, I don't know, Coheed Cambria-ish, like weird bass popping out of a mix kind of ways. Every once Is that a, while, a way like... it can work? Maybe envelope something I need to get into. I always write it off because I think of it as a funk utility. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really interesting because you can do so, like so much with it. So... It's it's really about how it plays with other pedals for me. Whereas like, you know, I have friends that certainly like probably have an envelope filter on the entire time they're playing and you know, like it's it's like be, it'd be like watching your you know, someone you've known always wear glasses and then all of a sudden they don't wear glasses anymore, you know, if they stop I've, using it. I've always hmm. I've always felt of it as like a um I felt of of envelope feel is the same way I kind of feel about about slap playing is like it's a fantastic cover up for not doing very much. Yeah, uh, and that's yeah. That is a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are excellent players out there who um, who who showcase the the filter the filter effect for what it what it can really add to one's playing perhaps. You are, you are of course, absolutely right, and it is. It and is, a diplomat, though. <laughs> it's an incredibly biased opinion, but yeah, I sort of, uh, I think it was With Naomi's. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, JD. That's cool. It, it was one. It was one of those things where I think I was like, man, what those people are doing is incredible. When I sort of saw like slap players with envelope filters for the first time. And then you sort of learn to play bass. And I was like, oh, you mean it's just you're just moving a you're just moving a bar chord hand shape around yeah. with an envelope filter. Oh, right. I so I thought I thought there was a thing going on here that I couldn't do. That, that's kind of my my opinion of it. But I appreciate I'm in, I'm incredibly critical of, of funk bass. Well, because I don't t- tell me. Tell me in sincerity that you that you cannot say the same of distortion and drive and delay and mm. let's see what else. Oh no! You I'm not going to say all effects. The floor. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to say all effects, but all that's coming to mind is um, and only because it's specifically a delay distortion thing. But if anyone out there has seen uh, the wonderful comedian bill bailey and the sketch (laughs) the sketch he did where which was quite a good impersonation of the edge and then the idea is that the edge's board gets disconnected and the clean tone is all that's left and he's playing about um he's playing um some sort of blind mice or something it's three blind mice it's definitely a nursery (laughs) rhyme and um it um it really was an interesting comment on uh on instrumental society let's say but um you're almost I, definitely right. Yeah, I, 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 t- <laughs> I totally appreciate that. I think it was, uh, I, I think it was just that it fooled me. You, you're absolutely right. I guess that everything is a, a cover up of something. But I, I think for me, for the longest time, 
Um, the envelope filter slap playing fooled me into thinking there was this higher echelon of, of, of bass playing. And then when I realized what the trick was, I was like, oh, that's the yeah, same no, as what yeah. everyone's doing. There's, there's absolutely some truth to that, I think. I mean, you know, even um, the likes of Thundercat, like I'm not, I'm not sure if Thundercat plays much without, uh, without his envelope filter on, for example. Um, and I mean, I'd be a fan of his music absolutely not everyone is it's quite a quite a specific style but um i i suppose there's there's the distinction between an effect being a tool and an effect being a crutch maybe is what yeah. is what you're getting at yeah yeah but yeah sorry yeah, yeah. i've been i've been uh, you know railroading your uh, <laughs> your talk of envelope filters no, well i think i think you know if if there's something you if envelope filters are something you want to get into i would say like for me i'm as fussy about them as i am like distortions and such where I really want like an old school vintage sounding envelope and I really want like specific controls around range and like resonance and stuff because it's you really have to dial it in for it to be good and there's so many envelopes out there that I just I just don't get on with I don't really like their um well I don't really like or they'll have like one specific purpose and I I I sort of yeah, I, I kind of play, again, like more of a Mutron background. So like the one I have is is a like probably early 80s or whenever this, one of the early Qtrons from Electroharmonics, which again, uh, my, from Musictronics designed. And, you know, so it's it's a Mutron circuit just in, in those. And it's one of the big old, you know, that's, you know, one of the size of a shed uh boxes and everything and looks super cool and trippy um artwork wise but it's i really like it it's really it's really like analog and it feels like there's there's an interaction with it whereas like i have i also have other envelopes that are like really modern and are really like really pitchy on the high end like they're really sort of thin and peaky and which can have its place and it's stuff I like to use with distortions because it really sort of like the upper harmonics really sort of clang through in a way that you don't you don't get on like some of the older warmer vintager bubblier kind of um kind of envelopes but moving on from sort of uh, envelope checks otherwise that's another episode probably <laughs> um, the, the other sort of two big ones that I use is um I have I using this too, like the I think it's an eighty three Boss CS two the compressor sustainer, um, awesome. yes, which, which is not in any way a subtle compressor like that dark glass supersymmetry that I mentioned before, or to tie it back to Aglar as well, their TLC compressor which I really mm -hmm. like. Both of those are like clean, useful compressors for like like the TLC especially is just like a studio compressor for me um for sure and then, super transparent yeah and it's it's super super great responsive and i think the slopes is it's a two something to one i think pull that out from nowhere um and then the <laughs> and then um uh, that super symmetry was just super smooth and great too but the this compressor sustainer the cs2 is uh i use it a hundred percent for an effect um just really 
bringing out like all the string noise, bringing out all the harmonics, bringing out like everything. Just go. like that's, yeah, like it's that's that's exactly what Juan Aldrich uses his for, just for all those harmonics on a fretless bass. Um, and that's what that that CS2 is perfect for. Is that yeah? And um, there there was a man who told me to get one mostly for that purpose, and his name you've already said a couple of times. So I don't want to do it again because. Although I hope he's doing well, because he yes. is amazing and yes, one of the nicest dudes I've ever met. Um, yeah, and then I'll close it out with yet another Boss product, uh, the RE-20. Um, I say dash 20 because I'm speaking into an RE20 electro voice uh, microphone right now. Uh, um, but the, my favorite <laughs> microphone. Yeah, I really, really like it. It's what I, it's what I record bass with. Um, yeah, it's my, it's my main... It's my main bass amp mic that I've been recording for, yeah, 10 years. Like the, it's the mic I've used almost exclusively. Um, I, I, I actually think it's, it's great for absolutely everything. Yeah. Uh, it's a total all rounder. Yeah. I mean, like you sound absolutely like you're speaking into a vocal mic right now. And you're literally saying it's the same mic that you've trusted to record bass cabs for a long yeah. time. <laughs> that's, and, that's testament to a, to a, an all rounder mic. Yeah. And my voice is as tinny as Jay's is, um, <laughs> which we all know is, is shrill. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's great. There's, there was some video I was watching recently, some like late, uh, late seven It's probably, it's probably a Jocko. I think, I think it is a Jocko video when it goes and it shows like the horn section and they all have like RE twenties, like in front of the trombones and like everything. And you're just like, yep, that's, that's a microphone they're, they're micing trombone with They're They like, it's probably it's one or two one of the two broadcast microphones that everyone uses it's yeah, yeah it's tom yeah. york's tom york's microphone of choice for every situation is it yeah i know that yeah there you go oh, further testament yeah uh yeah so the back to my pedal board uh the boss <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the the boss re20 space echo um is is my favorite delay slash reverb that i've used for i think roughly since it came out so which was what late oh, 20 twi- i'm not sure was it even 20 it was, it was even 2005 in... seven nine it's, it's got to be one of no it, it's got to be like 2002 three four something it, like that maybe that five at the latest I, I i think it might be one of the longest running you know uh boss double pedals like that they've discontinued so many of those um i mean it's it's been on my board since since then whenever that was and you know most most things come and go and like i i have a again a love-hate relationship with sort of delays and reverbs too and where i just i just get so picky with them and reverb is such a such a tricky thing to really get right also with my style of playing is like a lot of a lot of it's very like solo-y sounding so i could do a lot of guitar stuff and i just i yeah plus there's so much on the market now that's just that's really great it's just kind of hard to find the right one you know and and i i haven't really sat down and like put a strymon and stuff on my board but there's so much stuff that sounds great it just doesn't really fit my very particular niche 
vibe that I want or I don't have I haven't found a way to like interact with it in the same way like I'm just not vibing with the pedal and then 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 it becomes a thing that it's like oh I'm just using reverb to use reverb versus I'm using it as and as an effect as a tool to enhance what I'm doing I I think and as something I think we'll talk about on future podcasts there is a big difference between a pedal being good and a pedal being good for bass um there is very true it's such a more specific thing um, that it's taken me years to understand that it's such a more specific thing because I get I I buy into every bit of hype that ever is <laughs> you know that that's ever out there about any brand and I I buy all the pedals and then I try and play them being a bass player rather than a guitarist and I there's so much stuff that just doesn't gel um, it's such a different kettle of fish but you know I'm sure we will talk about that on on future podcasts i think i think the drive discussion definitely needs to continue and of course on this we are we are over time actually for this uh, for this week's episode of the basic katana's podcast and we barely answered a single question which is exactly the same as the katana's podcast i'm glad to see nothing nothing is different on this we're always gonna just go off on on weird tangents but there's just so there's so much to talk about when it comes to uh, bass drives, and there are so many things out there. And listeners, I'd love to for us all to talk about our experience with different drives, you know, throughout the years, and kind of help you maybe sort of narrow down future purchases for drive pedals for bass. Because for me, it is absolutely that is the that's the number one hardest thing, harder than basses, than amps, and anything else is nailing the correct drive pedal and it is a something that i've i've been searching for and still really haven't haven't found my end game for so i'd you know that can be a journey that we all take together but that that is is pretty much it for this week's episode of the bass guitar nerds podcast um we'll be back um uh, the week after next uh, with another episode of the Bass Katana's podcast. So thank you very much for uh, for tuning in. Uh, you can, of course, um, check out Guitar Nerds on any of the major social platforms with at Guitar Nerds or check out our Patreon on patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds. And we'll be back next week with more of this guitar nerdery. Farewell. <laughs> <laughs>